This week on WealthTrack, lessons for investors from the Motley Fool's great rule breaker investor, David Gardner. You really should be looking at the leaders. Who are the companies that are really taking us to new places? Um, the lead, if you're not the lead husky, the view never changes. The old saw goes, I love that line. So I started saying, you know what? We're gonna invest in the lead huskies. The Motley Fool's co-founder and stock picker extraordinaire joins us this week on Consuelo Mack WealthTrack. Funding provided by ClearBridge Investments, Morgan Le Fay Dreams Foundation, First Eagle Investment Management, Royce Investment Partners, Matthews Asia, and Strategus Asset Management. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. The one constant in life is change, even for great investors. Earlier this year, the Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner announced that he was changing his focus as he told fellow fools, as the global online investing community jokingly refers to themselves, where you place your focus in life matters. And now I am choosing to shift my focus from the stock market and invest time in other endeavors. After nearly 30 years focused on publicly picking stocks, this wasn't a decision I took lightly. It wasn't a decision the Motley Fool team, members, followers, and at least one member of the financial press, namely me, took lightly either, which is why I wanted to talk to David. The good news is Gardner is not totally leaving the fold. He is chairman of the Motley Fool Foundation, devoted to bringing financial freedom to all. He remains co-chairman of the Motley Fool with fellow Fool co-founder and younger brother Tom, a successful investor in his own right, who has also been managing and growing the business. David Gardner will continue as chief rule breaker for life, he expects, and he will continue his weekly podcast, Rule Breaker Investing, in which every 10 weeks, he recommends what he calls a five-stock sampler theme, called from stock advisor and rule breakers picks. Since its 2015 inception, Gardner has introduced 30 five-stock samplers with impressive multi-year results. After tracking each sampler for three years after they were recommended, the overwhelming majority made money and beat the market. Collectively, the all-time totals for the sampler portfolios showed a more than 100% gain, beating the S&P 500 by a 62% margin. Even more impressive, since founding his Rule Breaker stock service more than a decade ago, its portfolio was up 350%, trouncing the S&P's 115% gains. I asked Gardner to take us through his Rule Breaker's rules. What are the lessons learned? I think I've learned um, about 438 lessons, so let's just go over two of them. Uh, and one is as an entrepreneur and the other is a, a, an investor. And, and by the way, I'm always reminded of my favorite line from Warren Buffett, which is I'm a better investor because I'm a businessman and a better businessman because I'm an investor. We have that quote blown up at about 438 point font at Full HQ. Of course, we haven't been in Full HQ for almost two years now, but it's, it's right there. And that means a lot to Tom and to me because I really do think that the lessons you learn as an investor, you can bring those into your business career. And what you actually learn from your business career should inform what stocks you pick and you get better at both. So that's the meta lesson. But the lesson as an entrepreneur, Consuelo, is I think that having a clear sense of what the purpose is of your organization, and that goes for any for-profit or not-for-profit. Um, that's what I look for as a stock picker, but as an entrepreneur to make the world smarter, happier, and richer. Which that's is what the, Motley the Motley Fool, Fool is mantra. about. That's exactly right. right. And we, you know, every one of our 600 employees knows that if you bump into them on an elevator uh, right off the top of their head. And, and so I just see the power of aligning everyone 
around, uh, around a purpose. As an investor, uh, my, my number one lesson is probably just play the game the way Wall Street doesn't play it. And that, that can take many forms, but for this purpose, I'll just say play the long-term game. Uh, as it is, uh, most of the institutions tend to trade in and out of what they started with on January 1st by the end of the year, December 31st, they're out. And so much of the media focus, you don't do it here, that's why I love your show, so much of the media focuses on what happened yesterday, literally, or this quarter, where's the market headed? And the big lesson and clear takeaway, and every Motley Fool member already knows this, I sure hope, is to play the long game, because very few people are. And, and also, you're on the board of an organization called Conscious Capitalism, right, David? Yes, yeah. I am, and Conscious Capitalism is, is a belief that Capitalism is a beautiful model when done well. Business really does elevate humanity and businesses that create a win for all their stakeholders, uh, not just to maximize shareholder value, which is helpful and important, but the real way to do that is not by targeting it or saying that is the only purpose of a corporation. It's actually to create wins for all of your stakeholders. So every business is different, but the ones that create, the businesses, Consuelo, that create a win, 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 win across all of their stakeholders. That's at the heart of conscious capitalism. That's still practiced by a real minority of businesses, at least in my experience in the world today. The ones that are doing it, usually some of the best stocks that I've picked, I've learned so much from seeing excellence in play right out there in the public markets. So let's talk about doing what Wall Street doesn't do, approaching investing the way Wall Street doesn't, where you've got six habits of the rule breakers investor, right? The first one is let your winners run high. That's rule number one. And if there are six habits, I, I lead off with that one because, and we already talked about that, the importance of playing the long game. Right. How many people owned Apple for a little while or have a story about how they had Amazon um, briefly, but they didn't hold. And so even though it was self-evident to them that Netflix was growing or that even a, a more opaque company to many like NVIDIA, which has been such a monster winner, they may have owned it for a little while or their fund may have owned it for a little while, but they didn't play the long game. They didn't let their winners run. And I always say hi because you know, my cost basis on Amazon is $3.21. That's, that, that's letting a winner run high and that's been transformative, not just for me, but for anybody who was listening to me. And, that's just one stock. So when you find these kinds of rule breaker companies that are really world shapers and world beaters, you want to let them run high. So that's number one. And number two, just to keep moving down this list of the right. six habits that I think we can learn. And by the way, these habits aren't for everybody. This is specifically the rule breaking approach that I take. There are a lot of people uh, in widows and orphan stocks who might be widows or orphans, God bless them. And I, I, I don't think that they should be following all of these habits. This is for my specific approach to beating the market, which is called rule breaker investing. But anyway, uh, uh, number two is add up. Don't double down. Uh, I think it's generally a great idea. I learned this from my dad, a wonderful investor in his own right. Dad said, let's not throw good money after bad. When something goes down, let's not keep throwing more money at it. Maybe we got that stock wrong, David. Let's actually find the ones that are working Let's add to those over time. Through your history of, of owning an Amazon or a Netflix or what, I mean, they've had you know, really downturns, significant downturns. So when, when you're saying, you know, don't double down, is double down on bad news or bad performance, not on what the stock price is doing, right? I mean, do, didn't you kind of 
add to Amazon when it was declining in price? I, I think that what's important is more than anything, just to be methodical and not think yep. that you're high or low. I, I don't like the phrase double down. I think double up makes a lot more sense than double down, by the way. Okay. So people get these phrases in their head that lead to some crazy headed notions, I think. But for the most part, we're methodical. So I'm not trying to time the market or think Amazon's low now. I would just say, build your position over time. On the 17th of every month, put your money back into the market and ask what are the best companies that I don't own enough of yet and add it there. So it's much more of a methodical approach. But that specific habit is about getting people to think about adding to winners. Because in my experience, not just in sports or in life, but I do think this works in sports and in life, winners win. And that really is true in business. And usually the great companies just keep being great. Apple has become such a phenomenon over the course of our lifetimes. It's basically the largest publicly capitalized company in the world today. It's also the greatest brand in the world today. And, uh, and a company that's added immense value to the world. And we've bought and held that one for a long time. So add up, don't double down. But ultimately, we're not trying to time the market either way. So David, which leads kind of to the next question again, kind of an anti-Wall Street uh, you know, approach, and that is to invest for the long term for at least three years. But in many of the companies that you're talking about, it's been a lot longer than three years. Yeah, it's more like three decades. That's right. the aim. That's why I say for at least three yep. years. And keep in mind, uh, these habits that I'm trying to, to inculcate on as many people as, as will listen, um, these are things people haven't necessarily learned. Their parents didn't raise them to think that the stock market was a, a real savings vehicle for the long term, closer to a bank than a gambling machine. Most people think the stock market is a gambling machine, but really, if you think about it, we should all, for the last 100 years or 10 years, have been taking our savings and regularly plowing it into the best companies of our time, I would say the rule breakers, and right. we're going to be rewarded so well for that. So, Yes, I think Consuelo invest for at least three years. You know, the one thing I like to remind us about the word invest, which is a beautiful word, is it comes from the Latin root investiri, and that meant to wear the clothes of. So priestly vestments, that's the same root as the word invest. So I always think about, well, we're college football time of year, or NFL football time of year. People go to the stadium with their jerseys on, and whether their team wins or loses that game, or has a bad season or not, they're probably gonna keep that jersey on. It's because they love what they're invested in. They are truly putting on the clothes of. If everybody hearing me right now had that same attitude about the money that they invest in the market, they'd be putting it in things that they love and they would be keeping it there. So I think of the opposite of invest as trade. And that's what most people right. are doing. So it's very important to me to distinguish investing from trading. They are not at all synonymous. They are basically opposites in my mind. All right, so I'm going to wear my portfolio on my sleeves. <laughs> I've always said make your portfolio reflect your best vision for our future. I think I right. should be able to pick up your statement and see who you are through the stocks that you have. So the four tenets of conscious capitalism, to re remember those in doing that. So what are they? The four are Number one, purpose over profits, companies that seek out a higher purpose. We've talked about that already. We just covered number two, which is stakeholder orientation. Three and four are conscious leadership, which I would liken to servant leadership. Uh, if the CEO has the best office and the best parking spot and there's a sense of entitlement running around the culture of that company, that doesn't feel like conscious leadership. 
And then finally, number four is conscious culture. And you know, that window into what it's like to work at a company and making it a place that is vital and abundant, where love is there. A lot of people feel uncomfortable talking about love, I'm sure around Wall Street in offices, but for a lot of the rest of us, whether you're working at a, a restaurant or you're serving older people in your community, there's a lot of love in American business. And that's right. a big part of the best cultures of the best companies in my experience. I want you as an investor to remember those tenants so that they influence what you're doing as an investor and remembering that this is a very human act, what we're doing as investors. This is not tracing zigs and zags or technical analysis. I skip all of that. I'm really looking at the human endeavor of business and, and that's part of developing great habits as an investor. No, that's a really good point. When, whenever anyone talks about, you know, corporations or whatever, and I think, no, corporations are people and they're a culture. And we just have to remember that, how important the human element is. 5% um, maximum initial position in a stock, and another of your, the six habits of the rule breaker investor. Yeah, and that's the fifth one. And it just reminds us to be diversified. A lot of people, when they start investing, and in part, these habits are for people to get right there at the beginning of their investing. We do have a lot of people coming to The Motley Fool every month who are beginning investors. For them, they're starting a portfolio. So I think you should have a 20-stock portfolio at a minimum. So it's not about what's the one hot stock or what are the three I should start with. It's really about having a portfolio from the beginning. You know this as well as I do now, Consuelo. The world's gotten a lot better for investors the last couple of years. These days, we can buy fractional shares. Right. Uh, so it's no longer that we have to buy a block of shares uh, or that the price per share of the company really matters. It doesn't. If you have the right kind of a brokerage account, these are very widely available in the U.S. today, you can actually buy fractional shares. So it's about deploying your money into 20 different companies and in equal increments. So that's why I say max 5% initial allocation, the simple math, 100 over 5 equals 20 stocks or more. And that's where I want people to start because if, if that one stock that they thought was going to do great doesn't, and that happens sometimes, that happens to me too, uh, it's nice to know you have 19 others and you might have been right more about those. Uh, aim for 60% accuracy. Tell me about 60%. Yeah, well, the word accuracy, first of all, I use, that's my own kind of jargon, but that means right. you've beaten the market with, with an investment. So I use baseball a lot, so I'll do it again. If you're getting on base, if you get a hit, that means with that stock, it exceeded the S&P 500. So if three years after you bought a stock, it's up 57%, the market's up 22%, you are accurate. You are on base one for one. And my aim there is to do that 60% of the time. So six out of 10 positions or those first 20 stocks aim to, to, to hope or have 12 or more of them beating the market. Now, I want to make it clear, I'm a person who believes you should aim high in life, even if you don't hit it, if you've tried to hit your wagon to a star and don't quite get to the star, you might still have gone an awfully long way up. And so even I have a hard time probably hitting six out of 10 of every stock pick beating the market. In fact, I think studies will show that a minority of stocks actually beat the stock market. It's something closer to 40% of stocks in the S&P 500 actually beat the market average every year. It's those winners that win big that lift all boats. So another interesting lesson that, that you and I have talked about before, we've had some viewers have written in, and, and they, they will again, or they'll email us and they'll say, look, you know, sure, Consuelo, you're talking about how great overall portfolio is done, but he never talks about the losers, which is actually not true. Um, you do, 
I, I think it's very important to know that losing is part of winning. I do, Tom and I have been outspoken critics in lots of ways of Wall Street over the years. One of them is the tendency to, for people only to talk about their winners. So it's very important to us as, as fools, capital F, to make sure that we talk about our losers. And uh, in fact, the first podcast every year that I do for my weekly podcast, Rule Breaker Investing, is to cover all my worst losers over the last few years. So it's very important. And yeah, um, I would say we just talked about it. six out of 10 of your stocks beat the market. Well, that means right. four out of 10 did it. And sometimes it might be five or six out of 10. But the important dynamic, which you just mentioned, is that, well, I'll just put some numbers to it. The worst you can ever do with a stock is to lose 100%. I've still never done that for members. I've gotten close, though, a number of times. And it's right out there. Mm -hmm. The best you can do? Well, we've had stocks that have gone up 100 times or 300 times in value. So the math is wildly in our favor if we're playing the long game with great companies. Again, most people live in fear of losing. Humans are hardwired to avoid loss. Psychologists tell us that the pain of loss for you and me, hardwired, is three times the joy of gain that we feel. There are good evolutionary reasons why we're still alive on this planet taking that attitude. But for your money or the stock market, it's actually the opposite. The joy of winning is infinite times the pain of loss. What lessons have you learned about losing? And, and are there things now that you just automatically avoid because of an experience of, of losing? Well, I, I think certainly um, having lost as much as I have over the years right. um, with all kinds of bad stock picks, I mean, you do want to try to develop pattern recognition around why that's happening. So I think the, the 2021 version of me knows all those lessons, and it would be hard to unpack it all, but a couple of examples would be um, early days, I tended to look for like the third or fourth company in a niche industry under the premise that Wall Street didn't know about it yet. So you and I can get in ahead as this company, a small cap that's a third or fourth player, finally gets some exposure and then we get some bump up. Uh, that was my expectation when I was 18 years old taking over the portfolio my dad had started for me. Mm -hmm. And I discovered about four or five, six, seven years later, that it's actually not a great way to approach the market. You really should be looking at the leaders. Who are the companies that are really taking us to new places? Um, the if you're not the lead husky, the view never changes. The old saw goes, I love that line. So I started saying, you know what? We're gonna invest in the lead huskies. I don't sweat too much. Maybe that's my, maybe that's my best lesson. Again, that's just gonna happen. It's like, um, let's go with NBA free throws. Even the best guy is gonna miss Two out of 10, maybe one out of 10 if you're psycho good, but you're gonna be missing, you're gonna be losing. And for a lot of us, yeah, it's not like figure skating in the Olympics where if you fall once, you're not gonna get the gold medal. I mean, right. I'm falling all over the ice and always will my whole life long. You're gonna lose in new ways that you couldn't have expected before, but how seriously should you take that when the worst you can ever do is a tiny fraction of the wins that you'll have? as an investor. So I would say don't overrate loss. Just take it and kind of enjoy it. It's a gift and an opportunity. David, uh, one of your you know, big winners has been Tesla. And, and I'm, I'm thinking of the conscious capitalism piece and looking at Elon Musk. So how do you square some of his behavior um, with the conscious capitalism uh, ethos that, or ethos that you're following? Well, it's a really fun question, and it's, I'm reminded, and um, I don't know if you let off with this, but five years ago on the show, you asked me what was the one stock I was thinking about at the time, and I said, please don't make me do that. That's not how I think. We already talked about it. 
20 stocks, not one. But I'm happy to say I did say Tesla on yes, that show. Yes, it's, mm -hmm. it's done really well since. And I think it's in part because it fulfills a lot of what we're talking about for conscious capitalism. I mean, think about what is Tesla's purpose statement? Talk about higher purpose. It's not to make really amazing cars. That's not their purpose statement. It's to accelerate human adoption of sustainable energy worldwide. That's paraphrasing it. But that is the vision for Tesla. What a beautiful vision. And mm -hmm. what a big vision. Because it's not just about cars, is it? It's about solar panels. It's about batteries. And you've got a very ambitious person, founder-led company. We've done right. so well, Tom and I, and so many of our analysts have done so well by following the founders. And so, uh, you know, obviously, there's Elon and some of his antics. Uh, I'm an Elon fan. I'm not an Elon fanboy. I uh -huh. certainly recognize <laughs> he's human. I think some people think that he's superhuman. I think he's human. But I love the guy. I'm so grateful yeah. for his vision. I'm glad that I lived at the same time he did. What would make you sell Tesla? I, I'm going to speak for Tom here, too, because he and I have very similar ideas about this. Right. We, 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 we basically don't sell. We, we barely ever okay. sell. I mean, a lot of my selling, if you looked at the selling that I've done either in our services or in my personal, personal portfolio, are when our company gets bought out by somebody else. Mm -hmm. Clearly, those losers that I talked about, I do sell those. And if the, if the thesis that I had is broken, if the founder leaves, that's a question. Right. You know, should, if Elon's gone, should we hold on to Tesla? I'd certainly be looking at hard at that point. Um, but I'm so glad that I decided not to leave Apple when Steve Jobs left this planet, right. but to stay right there. Right? And I've been, I've been so rewarded for that that I could make four mistakes and hold bad stocks. But Apple has made us so much money relative to those other four. The biggest reason for most of us to sell Tesla is we have too much of it in our portfolio. It's done so well. So that would be a reason at least to trim your holdings, right? To bring it back more into sync with the rest of your holdings so, so that you are, in fact, having a diversified portfolio. Yeah, and now you're getting into another list that we won't do this particular yeah. um, uh, time together. But that's six ha uh, principles of building a rule breaker portfolio. But one right. of them... It's pertinent to this. The only one I'll highlight is know your sleep number. And of course, there are mattresses and a company, it's actually a rule breaker stock pick that's done okay, not great, uh, named sleep number. And a lot of us might know what that means in the context of actual sleep. Mm -hmm. But I've borrowed that, I've co-opted that phrase to say, here's your sleep number as an investor. It's what number would you allow a single stock to get at the maximum as a percentage of your overall portfolio okay. and still be able to sleep at night. Now, for some of us, that's a higher number. I have quite a high sleep number. I have allowed stocks to balloon to greater than 50% of my whole portfolio, which is a little bit crazy, and I'm certainly not recommending that to anybody listening to me now. A lot of other people have a sleep number of about one. They're in mutual funds. Or that fund itself is diversified so broadly that no stock is more than 1% right. of the portfolio. So it's a subjective answer for each of us to give, just like the sleep number for your mattress. Uh, but know your sleep number. So one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio, which you always <laughs> hate to answer. <laughs> because, But we're I mean, assuming that it's a really well-diversified por portfolio, and it has probably at least 50 stocks. I'm not picking stocks anymore formally at The Motley Fool. Right. Um, I, I rotated out of that to my talented team that has trained with me for years uh, because I, I decided that I want to spend maybe the third 27-year chapter of my life in a different direction, even though I'm not fully sure what it'll be. Um, but I did check in with my Rule Breakers team because I knew you were going to ask me that question. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and this is a stock I initially picked for Rule Breakers, even though 
I'm not formally doing it now. I'm crediting my friends Tim Byers and Aaron Bush on our Motley Fool Rule Breakers team. But the stock I'm going to say this time is DocuSign. All right. Sure. DocuSign, ticker symbol DOCU. I think most of us, especially in the professional world, recognize that as a brand we already know. And something that brings a smile to the face. It sparks joy when somebody asks me to sign something and they send me the DocuSign. And I hit the happy <laughs> yellow button start and I click this and we're done. But they are the category leader. They are the brand that people know. Well, David Gardner, thanks so much. And we look forward to hearing about kind of the next chapter uh, as, as you pivot uh, to some, some new challenges. Thanks, David. Well, thank you. Thank you, Consuelo. And just a delight to have shared my time with you on your show over the years. And, uh, and I'm really grateful for your work. So thanks. At the close of every wealth truck, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's Action Point reiterates David Gardner's advice. It is make your portfolio reflect your best vision of the future. Gardner's conscious capitalism portfolio is how he is doing it, investing in companies that will make money for shareholders over the years and whose products and policies are making the world a better place for their customers, employees, communities, and other stakeholders. Since first mentioning the portfolio to us in his 2019 WealthTrack appearance, which he had just included in his weekly Rule Breaker Investor podcast, the five conscious capitalism portfolio stocks, Salesforce.com, Ecolab, Etsy, Nextera Energy, and Old Dominion Freightline have done extremely well. Whatever your best vision for the future is, there are sure to be companies or mutual funds or ETFs that can match it. Finding them is a goal worth pursuing. Next week, financial thought leader and strategist Jason Trenert details the seismic shifts occurring in the economy and financial markets. In this week's extra feature, David Gardner describes his financial freedom is a mindset philosophy. You can watch it on WealthTrack.com. Please continue to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thank you for sharing your precious time with us. Have a super weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and a productive one. Mm -hmm.